uh, the book of Deuteronomy, if you want to turn there. This is most likely going to be a one-week lesson, and I'll kind of explain why uh, in a few minutes. Um, Then next week we'll start Joshua. We'll probably get Joshua and Judges done, I would say, in the month of May, and that's then we take the break for June and July. So we're kind of shooting for getting through the book of Judges by then. Um, But turn to Deuteronomy, and I'm just going to give a little bit more... Uh, introduction or a little bit of an introduction and kind of a a review since this is wrapping up the study of the first five books of the Bible. Um, Remember, and this is is all in your notes, I know you've heard this now several times, but um, the first five books of the Old Testament are called the Pentateuch, Penta five, Tukas is scrolls. So literally the five scrolls, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Um, To just kind of rehearse what we have learned so far, of course these books were written by Moses. Genesis was really the story of the beginning of humanity. Uh, Obviously Adam and Eve, and, um, and, and then there was Noah, and then there was Abraham, and the beginnings of humanity and the selection of a family. That's what happened in the book of Genesis. God selected a particular seed, a particular line, the line of Abraham, that would be the family through which ultimately the Messiah would come. Uh, the book of Exodus, then, the chosen family becomes a people. They become a nation in Exodus. Uh, in Leviticus, these people or this people, uh, are given direction. Now, God says, here's how you are to worship. Here's how you are to align yourselves. Uh, Here's how you are to live holy before me. So Genesis is the selection of the family. Uh, The family becomes a people in Exodus. Leviticus, the people, are given direction. And in Numbers, the people begin moving toward their promise, which is the land of Canaan that God had promised to Abraham way back um, when he first called him. And so we have spent the last two weeks talking about um, the people or the family of God moving toward their land of promise. Now, Deuteronomy, which is the focus today, interestingly, uh, is more quoted by Jesus than any other Old Testament book. When Jesus is tempted by Satan, if you remember that, He uses three quotes from the book of Deuteronomy to respond to Satan. Deuteronomy is not the most thrilling book in the Bible, but apparently Jesus thought it had a lot of power because when he's fighting off Satan, he draws from uh, Deuteronomy to respond to the enemy. So we will, uh, we're going to unpack Deuteronomy and and, uh, I'll give you again a reason why this is going to be a fairly quick lesson and the way we are going to approach it here in just a moment. A little bit about Deuteronomy. That title comes from the uh, Greek title in the Septuagint. Um, Deutero is second. Nomos means law. So literally, Deuter- Deuteronomy has Deutero and Namos in it or Nomos in it. So it literally is the second law. That's what Deuteronomy means. And, and it's called that because it reviews the law and the covenant 
that God had already made with his people. Um, it is just a, a rehashing, if you will, of the law that God had already given. It is not a second law in the sense that it is a new one. All right, it's not, okay, now I'm going to add some things. It's not that. It's a second law in the sense that it is a reviewing of the law and the covenant that God had already made with his people at Mount Sinai. Um, Remember this, everybody that Moses is speaking to, um, all the adults, but Joshua and Caleb, all the the, the adults that had come out out of Egypt, except Joshua and Caleb have died, all right? So he is, Moses is going to be talking to people who when they came out of Egypt as slaves were all teenagers or under. So he's, he's ta- he, so that's why this review is so important. These are the offspring of those who came out of Egypt. Moses wants this generation to know what God has done, what God wants to do, and what it will take for God to accomplish that in them. So he has them all gathered together and... Um, These are people now who have really not heard this. They've been wandering. Some of them were born in the wilderness and have grown up in the wilderness. They don't really know much about Abraham and Isaac, and they certainly don't know much about the deliverance out of Egypt. And so some of them have recollection of that if they were 12 or 13 when it happened. But for the most part, he is talking to people who have never had this law Um, reviewed before them. And so Moses wants them to understand the expectations of God. This is a moment of hope for the nation or the people of God. But with every hopeful moment um, and faith moment, there's always some uncertainty. And that's the case with us when we feel hopeful about a vision that God has given to us or hopeful about the progress we are making Uh, There's always a little bit of anxiety and uncertainty too, like, okay, this is exciting, but what could possibly step in my way? And so Moses is going to deal with all of that. What happens if things go wrong as they begin to enter into the land of promise? So I I want you to kind of get a picture of Moses being very pastoral. This This is like a pastoral speech he's going to make to these people, to the nation, and um, these words are going to be given to them to prepare them for the land of promise. Keep in mind, Deuteronomy is the last will and testament of Moses. When we get to the end today, Moses is going to die, and he is going to be buried by God, and they will see him again no more. And so he, this is his last chance to impart into this generation. So I want you to kind of think about if you're Moses and and this is your last shot, your last sermon, your last chance to say to these young people in this new generation, here's what God wants to do. What are the kinds of things you are going to say to them? That's the context of the book of Deuteronomy. Moses gets up. It's my last shot at you. And I, I, this is, you need to know this. I'm not going to be with you anymore. Um, but, but here's what you need to know. Uh, you might even compare it um, to what Jesus did in John 14, 15, and 16. Um, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again. 
I'm going to receive you unto myself so that where I am there you may be also. But while I'm gone, I'm going to send the comforter. He's going to lead you into all truth. And and, uh, this is how you are to, to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. That was the last will and testament of Jesus. This is the last will and testament of Moses. Now, um, again, these are his last words before he hands off the baton to Joshua, who is going to lead. And these words, we put a map uh, in your notes or on your notes. These words are given by Moses from the east side of the Jordan River and the northern region of Moab. So if you want to just take a look at that map for just a moment, and uh, if you look on the uh, right side of the map, um, actually, if you look kind of on the, look at the, the blue line on the left third, this is the Jordan River right here, running down uh, north and south. That is the Jordan River. And um, you will notice there's a little blue dot right on the left side of the Jordan River just a little beyond the halfway point. That is Jericho. That's the first place they will go when they get into Canaan, all right? But remember, before Jericho, what do they do? They cross over the Jordan River, which is the blue squiggly line down in the middle. They are over in that, they are just um, east, when when Deuteronomy takes place, they are east of or right of the Jordan River, and um, is Lori not in here? I said right of instead of east of to help Lori, and she's not even in here. All right. But um, so and in this area where you see the star, this is kind of the area. This is the northern part of what is called the plains of Moab, and they are east of the Jordan River. So Moses is giving his final words. When this is over, he will die. And then Joshua, the book of Joshua, which will start next week, Joshua is going to take him across the Jordan River, and then they will reinstitute the covenant, and there will be a circumcision of all of those men who were not circumcised in the wilderness. And then when they're healed, they're going to go into Jericho, and that'll be their first conquering of the promised land. All right, so I just gave you that to give you kind of the context of, of what is about to take place. Now, um, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, really, it, it's broken into four sermons, sermonettes, four messages by Moses. The first one takes up the first uh, almost five chapters, first four, almost four chapters, excuse me. And really what he does is he lays out the history, what's happened up to this point. Second section um, He will talk more about the law and even the way they are to love. Uh, Thirdly, which is chapters 27 through 30, the second one is the longest sermon. Chapters 27 through 30 will be the sermon on blessings and curses. And then there will be a farewell sermon. So let's go to the first one um, and, and go to chapter one. Now, a couple of things I want to say. Number one, this will only be a one-week lesson because there's really not a lot of new material here. It's, it's, he is rehashing what's already happened. So a lot of what you hear today, you're going to have already heard, but th- that's the point. Moses is letting them know, many of them for the first time, what God has already done. 
Secondly, because it is a pretty large book um, and not any new material, um, I'm going to read some significant portions. I'll try not to make it boring, but and I, I won't read too fast, so it just sounds like, you know, read, read, read. But we'll, we'll stop and comment along the way. But that's really the best way, I think, to capture what happens in the book of Deuteronomy. So we begin by Moses is, is going to rehearse with these people the history of how God called them to leave Sinai, to appoint judges. He's going to talk about the spies and how the people rebelled and the penalty for that rebellion. Look, look at chapter 1 and verse 5. Um, on the side, on this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us when we were in Horeb. And he said to us, You have dwelt around this mountain long enough. So turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowland, in the south and on the seacoast. Verse 8, See, I have set this land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord God swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I spoke to you, verse 9, um, at that time saying, I am alone, I alone am not able to bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are. But verse 12, how can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? So choose wise understanding, wise understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, the thing which you have told us to do is good. And so I took the heads of your tribes and I made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and officers. And I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with him. Don't show partiality in judgment. Hear them small as well as great. Don't be afraid in any man's presence. And the case that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. So first thing he says is, God told us to start moving. said, we've been at Mount Sinai or Horeb too long. Let's move on. And then Moses reminded them. And again, some of them, the teenagers, probably don't even remember this. And the ones that were born may have never heard this story. Moses said there was this time when... I had all of you, and God just kept blessing us, and we kept growing. And, I, and I, I prayed that we would grow even more, but man, there were a whole bunch of you, and you had a bunch of little things to deal with, and it was too much for me. And so this is when you remember Jethro, his father-in-law, said, name judges. And so Moses is just explaining, so we set judges up. and that's, So he's kind of saying, this is how we got from there to here. That's why we have judges out here now. And he's explaining to them how this whole process began. So verse 19, so we departed from Horeb and we went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites as the Lord our God had commanded us and we came to Kadesh Barnea. 
And I said to you, you've come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, don't be, don't be afraid or discouraged. And so you came to me and you said, let's send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up of the cities into which we should come. And the plan pleased me, so I took 12 of your men, one from each tribe, and they departed and they went into the mountains. Now, I'm not going to read the next section because I'll just tell you the story. So he's reminding them that, that we, we, got, we got close, we were ready to move in. This is 38 years before now. And we got ready to go in and you all came to me. He's really saying like to, to the young people, your dads came to me and said... Um, we would like to send spies in first. And Moses said, well, that seemed good to me. So we sent one from each tribe. And if you read on, we won't read it right now. He tells the story. They went in, they came back. They said, oh yeah, it's good. They brought stuff back. They showed us, look at the food. It's great. Look at the size of these grapes. But Moses said, but they also said that there's giants and we can't take them. And uh, let let me read a little bit more here. Um, So... Let's, let's look at verse uh, 25. They took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and they brought it down to us. Said it's a good land which the Lord God is giving us. Nevertheless, you wouldn't go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites. And, and then in verse 28, where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater. So they, they said, we can't go because they've told us there are giants in the land. And um, in verse 32, yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents. The Lord heard the sound of your words in verse 34. Verse 35, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to give to your fathers except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And then Moses says in verse 37, God was even angry with me for your sake, saying, even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So he even tells the story while the detail's not given here, I'm sure Moses gave the detail saying all this rebellion got to me and I even got ticked off and God was upset with me. And so I'm not going in here. I am talking to you. I'm not going to go in, but Josh was the one that's going to go in and he's going to lead you in. So he's preparing them, um, for their trip into the land of Canaan. And then in verse 41, he he reminds them that they decided, okay, we will go. We're sorry. And verse 42, the Lord told me to tell you not to go, uh, but you didn't listen in verse 43. And the Amorites ran you out, destroyed you. In verse 45, you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord wouldn't listen. And so now look at verse 45 or verse 46. So Moses says, so you've remained in Kadesh many days according to the days that you spent there. In other words, that's why you're still here. Here's the story. This is how you got here. All you need to know before you go in, and and he's setting the stage. Before you go in, you need to understand how you got here and how you spent four decades here 
is because you complained and you whined and you didn't have faith and now you got another chance. So I, I, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but Moses is saying, folks, don't blow it. You've done this once. Don't blow it like your parents did. All right. So he's preparing them to go in the land and he gives them the history. He tells them in chapters two through four of their, all of the time of their wandering and how all of the men of war in the wandering period died out. There are a few stories that Moses will hit here. You may want to jot these down in chapters two through four. I'm not going to read these, but he tells them about their um, defeat of Sihon or Sihon, who was the king of the Amorites, uh, their defeat of Og, who was the king of Bashan. He also talks about the, the settling of the half-tribe of uh, Manasseh and Reuben on the east side of Jordan. Go back to that map real quickly. And um, half-tribe of Manasseh and Reuben will actually settle on the east side. They go ahead and nestle in. They find their land. What will be interesting when we get to Joshua, um, they're not going to be all that interested in going in to fight. We've already got our land. And God will say, no, the, the ladies and the children can stay, but you men of war are going to go help your brothers settle the other side of the Jordan. So he'll tell the story about how um, he does that in chapters 2 through 4, how this half-tribe of Manasseh and Reuben actually settle. And then in chapter 4, Moses gives some more instructions. Um, he tells them, let, let's look at chapter 4, and um, I'm going to read a little bit more. He tells them to obey and remember. O, o Israel, chapter 4, verse 1, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord has given you. Don't add a word to which I command you. Don't take from it so that you can keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Verse 3, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. Lord God destroyed from among you all the men who followed. That was an idol. But you held fast to the Lord your God, but you who held fast are alive today. Verse 5, I've taught you your statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the people who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding. For what nation is there that God has, that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call up him. What great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. And he says, especially the days that you were at Horeb. It's kind of interesting um, that, that Moses says, don't get away from the law. Don't get away from the word and the presence of God. 
Because that's the thing, and I want you to watch this. This has great application to us. That's the thing that sets you apart from all the other nations. Uh, they, may, they may fight you. They may not like you, but they're all going to understand these people are different. There is no other nation that has their God so near to them. There's no other nation that has been given such clear instructions and and have been told by their God how to live and how to navigate. So Moses is saying, whatever you do, even if you feel like they're pressuring you, don't get away from this because this is what makes you distinct. This is what makes you different. And I think about that. We, the church world today, for whatever dumb reason, somebody dreamed up in some probably... East or West Coast Church, somewhere, I don't know, but, but has decided that we need to be like the world to win them. And, and the, the response of Moses would be, no, stay the distinct people of God that you are. Because even though they may not like you or they may fight against you, when they need you, when they need God, they're not going to run to somebody that's just like them. They're going to run to somebody who is clearly distinct and has God close to them. And I think we have sold out. We lost a battle without a bullet ever being or a gun ever being shot. We just bought into this mentality that we've got to be just like them. No, what sets the people of God apart is what will attract a world that's hurting to them. So anyway, that's my little application of Deuteronomy. But I think that's exactly what Moses is saying. In verses 15 through 20, so he he reminds them, first 14 verses, obey God, don't add to it, don't take away from it, and and absolutely remember what God has done. Obey and remember, first 14 verses. And in verses 15 through 20, so 1 through 14 is obey and remember, 15 through 20 is reject idolatry. Um, we'll read a couple of verses. Take careful heed, verse 15, to yourselves. For you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. Here, here's, I think, what God is saying, or Moses is saying, that humanity likes something they can see. When, I, when God spoke to you, you didn't see a form. But my presence with, was with you. He's warning them that when they get in to Canaan and they're going to see all of these nations that have gods they can see, they're going to be tempted to want to carve something out so they can see it. But again, God is saying, don't fall into that trap. And again, we do that. We, we want something we can see. We want something that's like us. And we tend to create our own gods, money idol, money idol, popularity idol, things that we can maneuver, we can create, we can make. God says don't do that. Warns them of idolatry. Um, and, and, and then in verses 21 through 40, there's even more warning about idolatry. I do want you to look at verse 23. We're in chapter 4. Um, It's kind of a a repeat, but take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and you make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. And when you beget children and grandchildren, 
and you've grown old in the land, and you act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the people and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve God's, the work of men's hands, wood, stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with your heart and with all your soul. This is just prophecy. This is just Moses saying, don't, um, don't get into that land and start following other gods. But when you do, it's going to be your downfall. I mean, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you. When you do, it's going to be your downfall. And then you're going to be captured and you're going to be spread out. And you're going to be carried away into other nations who are going to be serving idols that you can make with your hands. And then finally, you're going to call out to God with all your heart. He's going to hear you. That's the history of the Babylonian captivity, right? For Judah, they, 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 they finally, they, they got carried away into idolatry. And no matter how much Jeremiah cried out, no matter how much Isaiah cried out, they started following idols and they end up, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he carries them away. And finally, after 70 years, they call out to God and God restores them. So Moses is simply projecting ahead, prophesying, this is exactly what is going to happen to you. So he warns them of that. And then in uh, verses 41 through 43, um, he talks about uh, the cities of refuge. Look, we'll just read these three verses. When Moses set apart three, then Moses set apart three cities on the side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the time past and that by fleeing to one of these cities he might live. Bezer in the wilderness of the plateau for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites and Golan and Bashah for the Manassites. So the cities of refuge will come back into play later but, but Moses establishes a city of refuge was a place that if I killed someone and it was unintentional um, that now, see what, now think about this. I know this sounds really weird, but these people, slaves for 400 years, wandering for 38, not a lot of law, not a lot of form. And so what do they want to do? If you kill somebody in my family, I kill you. I don't want to know why. It's just eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? But if it's unintentional, you could run to that city and you could be safe until there had been a court case to decide whether you did it on purpose or not. So this was a way that God was was calling people not to take judgment into their own hands. Um, that's why we, we listen, all of the, the law, even of, of our civil justice system is based on us not taking vengeance. We are to trust those that that have been established and put in leadership. And and it doesn't mean there's no judgment. It means that we don't carry it out. We don't, you know, somebody steals from us, we don't go steal from them. And so that's what he's saying. There's these cities of refuge where they can flee. So um, that is basically his first message, the first four chapters uh, of establishing the history of God's people up to this point.
Before we move on to the second one, everybody got it? Any questions or comments? Or it can be relevant or irrelevant. I'll, I'll take either kind. Um, I'll let you know which it is, but I'll, I'll take either kind. Um, any questions about what Moses is doing here in the first four chapters? All right, it'll be irrelevant, I'm sure, but go ahead, Mo. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yes. Yes. The cities of refuge. They would actually, even if they were, even if they were judged uh, guilt-free, they would have to stay there, I believe, until the priest died, right? And then they could go free. Yes. That is correct. That the full. Um, th- this is kind of the precursor to those cities of refuge because they're, now they're just on the one side of the Jordan. They'll get to the other side and they'll be in every region. So, but you are correct. Yeah. Anybody else? All right, so he goes on now. The second message uh, is about the law and love. It's a rehashing of the law. Um, it, 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 is, it is centered on the concept of covenant, the covenant that has already been made. And the emphasis is on, I want you to get this, the emphasis here in these chapters is on the conditional aspect of the covenant. By conditional, um, it means... If you obey, you are blessed. If you disobey, you are not. And so um, disobedience will bring cursing. And divine blessing depends on obedience rooted in love. Um, But a continual and consistent disobedience would lead the people away from God's blessing and destroy their relationship with him. It begins um, with a repetition of the Ten Commandments. It begins in chapter 4, verse 44, through chapter 5 and verse 33. Look at chapter 5. I'm not going to read all of this to you. But um, look at um, verse number... Uh, well, let, let's just start in chapter... Verse 1. Moses called all Israel, and he said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I speak in your hearing today. Uh, The Lord God God our God made a covenant, verse 2, with us in Horeb. He didn't make a covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. Because you were afraid of the fire, and you didn't go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image. You go down to verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Verse 12. You shall observe the Sabbath day. Um, Verse number uh, 16. You will honor your father and mother. 17, don't murder. 18, don't commit adultery. 19, don't steal. 20, don't bear false witness. 21, do not covet what your neighbor has. So he rehashes the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 32 and 33. Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. Don't turn aside to the right hand or the left. Walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live 
and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. So he repeats the Ten Commandments and he says, if you want to bless life, it's how you do it. You live this way. Remember when we get to the New Testament, Jesus will sum up those ten by saying, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't steal from them. You won't kill them. You won't covet what they have. If you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you won't take his name in vain, and you won't create, uh, you won't have another God, and you won't make a graven image. And so, really, all of those are, are wrapped up in those two. But Moses reminds them of the law. Then we get to chapter 6, and um, it begins with what is known as the Jewish Confession of Faith or the Shema. Uh, I put that in your notes. It's really a brief doctrinal statement. Look at verse 4, chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Faithful Jews still quote the Shema today. That is part of their worship. Hear, O Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That is the Shema, the call of faith. It's seen in the New Testament many times. Verses 10 through 12, let me just read a few verses in chapter 6. It shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers um, and gives you large and beautiful cities which you didn't build and Houses full of all kinds of good things. Look at verse 12. Beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. That's just a, if you want to, if you're a note taker, just write down. God, Moses is just saying, don't forget where you came from. That's, that's still, man, that's still good advice today. Don't forget what God's done for you. When you, when you get blessed and life is good and you think you've done it, beware of that. That's what he's saying to them. He, he's just telling him, you're going to get over there and you're going to build yourself a house. And, and you're going to have all kinds of good food. And God is just saying, or Moses is saying, I want to remind you, that's not you. That's God's blessing. Boy, how quickly. 2019, we still fall back. When things are rough, man, we're crying out to God, God, help me get me through this. And as soon as things are smooth, kind of, look what I've done. Man, I've accomplished quite a bit. Same sin we fall into over and over again. Don't forget where you came from. Verses 20 through 25 of chapter 6, he reminds them, I love this, I want to read it. When your son asks you in the time to come saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were were slaves of Pharaoh, and the Lord brought us out. And he showed signs and wonders. Verse 23, brought us out from there that he might bring us in to the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord God 
for our good always, that he might preserve us, then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all of these commandments. This is, this is what, again, the American church does so poorly today. It's pass it on to the next generation. We don't do that. I, I know you all know this, and you're all, probably everyone in here, except Kyle's kids are grown um, and out of the house. So Kyle, let me talk to you just a minute. All right. Now, but it is not, yeah, I, I'm not so, so sure um, that we didn't make a huge mistake about 50 and 60 years ago or whenever this all started to totally separate the children and the youth from the adults. There's probably no going back now. And we don't want Mariah to be out of a job. So we're not going to go back now. But, but my point is, and we started thinking that it was the youth pastor and the children's pastor's job to get the word in our kids. And back then, at least the Sunday school teachers and the youth pastors and the children's pastors might get four hours a month with them. Well, now they get maybe one and a half hours a month because the parents only bring the kids every other week if the sun's shining it's 72 out not 73 and not 71 and there are no ball you know you know i'm talking about and we wonder why and and the parents aren't instilling the word in their kids and then we wonder why when they get to the freshman class in college they're not all that thrilled with the things of god because we failed in this moses said to them when you get over there And your kid, the first time he asks a spiritual question, you jump all over it and say, I'll tell you why we have this. Because this is where we were, and this is what God did, and this is how he has made us, and he will bless us if we continue to serve him. Wouldn't it be nice if those kind of conversations were happening with a 27-year-old dad, and the son says, hey, how did we get this nice car? And he says, let me tell you. Let me tell you, we were in sin and Jesus died and and go through the whole story and say, this stuff doesn't matter. That's what would, there's no youth pastor that's going to turn this around. And there is no children's pastor that has a hope of turning this around. Unless our parents do again what the word of God says, there is no fixing this thing. And I don't mean to be depressing. I'm just telling you, that's where it happens. That's where it happens. An hour or two a month will not fix it unless these conversations are happening at home. All right. That's really good preaching for Wednesday morning. All right. So... And I'm preaching probably not to the choir, but to the grandparents. So, um, but you can remind your kids of that. All right. That's important. So, um, and then in chapter seven, he reminds them of the need to keep holy separation. There's so much here. I I can't read it all, but um, we won't even, I won't even read it, but it's just, it's a text about staying separate from the other nations. Our application would be, um, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For he that loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that, that needs to be heard again. My good, there's so much here in Deuteronomy. We, we are a world-loving church. We can say we're not, but we love the world. We love everything about the world. We love it more than we love God most of the time. 
And that's why the church is as a whole in such a pitiful shape. Because we, it used to be we loved God and if we got blessed with the things of the world, we were thankful for it. And now we love the world and if we can add God to it and make it to heaven, we're good, we're happy with it. That's, that's where this thing has gone. Uh, all right, so I'll, I'll move on. So um, holy separation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 26, he talks about the blessings of obedience. Um, and, and I want to go to chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. This seems to be a resounding theme. Chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. He just says again, don't forget God. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God. And you follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day, you will surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish. Because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. America probably needs to hear that. Um, if we are like any other nation and we forget that it's God that brought us here, we'll be destroyed too. We'll perish too. It's not about how we started. It's about where we are right now. And we're not where we need to be. So, um, and then in chapter 9, he reminds them again of their failure at Sinai. Look at verse 8. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that your Lord was angry enough with you to have you destroyed. And then Moses says, but I interceded. In other words, he's telling them, you about lost everything back there at Sinai. Don't, again, he's just saying, don't make the same mistake your parents made. Chapters 10 and 11, then he talks about, he, he rehearses the story of the second set of stone tablets. Um, and that, that, that in, in the first 11 verses that he had to go back up and have those tablets remade. Look at chapter 10 and verse 12. This is the essence of a law. You may want to jot that down. The essence of a law. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. Again, what a, that, that just sums it all up. What does God require? Uh, what does he require of us? To fear him, to be obedient to him, to love him, and to serve him. Those are the four things. That's what God still requires of us today. It, it's, uh, that's the essence of a law. And then look at verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Do you see once again the New Testament um, principle? So you love God and serve him and obedient to him and love the stranger, love the neighbor as yourself. That's the essence of the law. Uh, again, that would fix America. And, um, but we don't obey. And then chapter 11, again, he talks about the blessings of obedience Look at uh, verse 8. Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong, go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. And here's the reason. So that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and to their descendants, a land that flows with milk and honey. 
Chapters 12 through 25, um, not going to read a lot here, but there are many ethical standards. Keep in mind, and I put it in your notes, they're going to go in to the land of promise and they're going to set up their nation. All right? They, they, they're done wandering. They were slaves. Now they've been pilgrims. And now they're going to be residents, okay? So this is to set up as residents. They were slaves in Egypt. They were pilgrims traveling in the wilderness. And now they're going to be citizens and they're going to set up their land. And so in chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, um, and I'm going to give you several little points here. So if you want to jot them down in chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, there's a prescribed place of worship. He tells them where they are to go to worship. Um, At the end of chapter 12 and all of chapter 13, he warns them about false prophets or even family members that encourage you to follow false gods. So he says, listen, when you get in there, beware of false prophets and don't even follow a family member who is trying to entice you to follow another god. In chapter 14... He actually tells them, prescribes the way they are to mourn, the way they are to eat meat, and the way they are to tithe. All of those things are in. And again, I know that sounds a little bit foreign to us, but these people were slaves, then they've been wandering. Now they're setting up, they're setting up a nation. All right? So they've got to have rules. They've got to know this is the way it's supposed to work. Um, Then in chapter 15, he talks about debt and the forgiveness of debt every seven years. So if if your neighbor is much more poor than you are and they borrow from you, you you can loan them. But then every seven years, you are to forgive that debt. How they are to treat the poor, the slaves. It's all in chapter 15. Chapter 16, the first half for 17 verses he reviews the Passover and the feast. This is how you're supposed to carry out the Passover and the feast when you get into your new land. And then uh, 16, 18 through 17, 13. 16, 18 through 17, 13 talks about how to administer justice. Look at chapter 17. And look at verse 8, chapter 17, verse 8. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. And you shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. All right. So when you can't work it out yourself, then you go to court. All right. You call your own fouls in the game. And then when you're not being honest, you've got to get a referee. That's basically what's going on here. All right. So when when it's too big and, and there's no settling of the dispute... You go to the judge and the priest, the Levite, and they will settle it it, it for you. Um, Then in uh, chapter 17, 14 through 18, 8, 
talks about how to treat kings, priests, and Levites. Chapter 18, I, I want to read these verses. Look at verse 9. 18.9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord God will drive them out from before you. You shall be blameless before your God for these nations which you will dispossess. Listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Here God is simply saying, again, it's, it's just another rehashing of don't become like them. Don't, don't begin to compromise. You've all, I'm sure, heard the illustration of a... Uh, if you boil a pan of water and you throw a frog in it, it's going to hop right out. But if you put a frog in a pan of water and you slowly crank up the heat, it will stay in there until it's boiled to death. That's the, that's the assimilation principle. And if we're not careful, over time, slow changes, we assimilate into the culture. All right? Think back 40 years ago and, and think what we started laughing at and what we started watching, and what we started being comfortable with, and what we decided, okay, that's not so bad because they're kind of funny and they're pretty generous, and now look where we're at today, all right? It, it's the frog in the kettle, and, and he warns them, nothing's new under the sun. He told them, you're going to get in there, and if you're not careful, you don't, if you don't, listen, if you, again, to them, that's why he said, Keep the word in front of you. Keep it on your forehead. Keep it on your hands. Talk about it at home. Talk about it with your children. Because if there, if there is no moral compass, if there is no north point, if there is no absolute truth that, that everybody moves toward, then it's going to become what's around me. And so once you throw this out of the school, it's not talked about in the homes anymore. Parents don't take their kids to church very more. You end up with an America today that thinks we're a bunch of buffoons because we say this is our North Point. You understand what I'm saying? That's exactly what happened then. It's what happens now. But it's not about castigating the world. This is happening in the church now. It's the same thing. Same problem, same issue, nothing new under the sun. Um, he tells them about a new prophet that's going to come. Look at verse 15. This is a messianic prophecy. Chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. This is Moses saying, like me, from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. All right? So he's prophesying that there is still a day coming when there's going to be one greater than Moses uh, that's going to come from among them. And he's the one that they need to turn to. Chapter 19, he again rehearses the cities of refuge, property boundaries. This is all stuff just to set up a nation. The law concerning witnesses, those are all found in chapter 19. Chapter 20, uh, warfare rules. And then chapter 21 through 25, just a bunch of miscellaneous laws that we won't take time 
to get into. I will show you one, though. Look at chapter 25, um, chapter 25 and verse 5. Um, chapter 25, verse 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be uh, that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up, watch this, to the gate, to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, that his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders. Look at this. Remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house and his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. Um, that is called the um, leverate or leverette marriage, L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E. This was a, a, a law that was established. Fast forward, you know the story to the book of Ruth, Right? Elimelech married to Naomi. They are Jews in Bethlehem. There's a famine in the land. They take their two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they go to Moab, right? And while in Moab, they do what they're not supposed to do, Malon and Kilion, and they marry Orpah and Ruth. Elimelech, the dad, dies. So do Malon and Kilion. So all we've got left is mother and two Moabite daughter-in-laws. Well, things aren't so great now in Moab, and they hear there's food again in Bethlehem, and Elimelech says to, or Naomi says to daughters-in-law, I'm going to go back home. You stay here. Nobody's going to marry you there anyway, because you are Moabites, and they're not supposed to marry you, and you'll have no place there. I'm going home. Orpah says, oh, I'll go. Come on, let me go. And she only has to tell her once, and she stays. But Ruth says, no, I'm going with you no matter what. Wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. Your God's my God. So they go, and they get there. And Naomi says, you know what, I'm thinking here, if she's going to get a wife, we do have a family member in town named Boaz, go and, you know, glean at his field. And so Boaz thinks she's cute. And so they drop, you know, stuff around the outside. And, and so they, they have this little ceremony that I'm not going to get into. It's an Old Testament thing that would take way too much time. But anyway, uh, Turns out that he can do this. He can marry her and carry on the name for Elimelech and, and Malon who have died. But Boaz, and so they go down to the, the center gate or the city gate. And Boaz says, but I can't do it yet because there's somebody that's closer in the line. And so what is that guy to do? You know, I don't want to mess up my family and I don't want to be told nobody. I don't want to be marrying no Moabite woman. So he takes his sandal off, does just what this says and read it in the book of Ruth. That's what he's doing. And so Boaz marries her. And of course, Boaz and Ruth have a son and that son is named Obed. And, they, and Obad has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David, all right? That's right there. Cool story. And, and so now when you read Ruth, that's where it comes from. Now we've got to hurry. Uh, point three, Moses' third message, chapters 27 through 30, blessings and curses. 
This is foreign to us in the West to understand, but this was a common Eastern culture speech form. It's also called the doctrine of retribution uh, or Deuteronomic theology. Um, And this was immediately true for Israel. They would succeed when they were obedient and they would lose the land when they were disobedient. You're going to see, they're going to go in and they're going to take the land. Joshua is going to lead them well. And they're going to stay with Joshua as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua dies and there's no leader and everyone starts doing what's right in their own eyes. And the book of Judges, which we'll get to after Joshua is just a, it, it is just a fulfillment of this prophecy. When they forget God, they are cursed and they lose the land and then they call on God and God sends a liver and they're restored. And then the cycle continues. Uh, This concept is broadened in biblical theology as it speaks to the fact that character has much to do with our eternal destiny. If we serve God and we walk obediently, you can read this in chapter 28, God is going to bless us. uh, But if we fail to, then we will walk under the curse. Chapter 29, uh, look at verse number 1. Chapter 29... And verse number one, 28 is long, isn't it? All right, 29.1. These are the works of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab. Uh, He calls all of Israel, verse two, and says, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. And he goes on to describe the great trials which your eyes have seen in verse three and the signs and the great wonders Verse 4, yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. This is is classic. Moses said, I've led you for 40 years in the wilderness. And your clothes have not worn out. And your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You've not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place... Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives. Also, the stranger is in your camp from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into the covenant which the Lord your God and and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself, that he may be a God to you just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. And I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here today. And so there is a renewing of this covenant. And then in chapter 30, uh, one more reminder. Uh, Let's just read verse one. shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, And you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. According to all that I command you and with your children, with all your heart, with all your soul, that the Lord God will bring you back from captivity. So he's telling them, you're going to falter. But when you call on God, he will bring you back. And then we go to Moses' farewell, chapters 31 through 34. In the first eight verses, go to chapter 34 and verse 1. 
Um, and, um, or 31, I'm sorry, 31, I said 34. 31 verse 1. 31 verse 1. Moses went and spoke these words to Israel, and he said, I am 120 years old. And I can no longer go out and come in. And the Lord's told me, you're not crossing over Jordan. Uh, The Lord your God himself crosses over before you, and he will destroy these nations before you. And you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord said. And then um, he anoints or he ordains Joshua says to him, be strong, or to them, be strong and of good courage. Don't fear nor be afraid. He is the one who goes with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. And then he calls Joshua, and he said to him, be strong and of good courage. You must go before this people to the land which the Lord has sworn for you to inherit. And uh, again, he promises to Joshua that God will not leave him nor forsake him. In verses 9 through 13, uh, Moses reminds them that every seven years, they are to read the law. Every seven years, they're to read the law as a nation. He then, in verses 16 through 18 of chapter 31, um, he really prophesies that they will apostatize, that they uh, will fall away from him. And then in chapter 31, verses 22 through 30, there's a song that inaugurates Joshua. Chapter 32 is a long chapter. It is called the Song of Moses, where he rehearses all of the blessings of God. And then chapter 33, Moses does what Jacob did. He pronounces a blessing on all of the tribes. And then after he has said everything he set out to say, we get to chapter 34. And then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And God showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse 4, the Lord said to him, this is the land in which I swore to give your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 5, I've caused you to see it, verse 4, with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. And so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him, that's God buried him, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. He was 120 years old when his died, died, and his eyes weren't dim, and his natural vigor, nor was his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, so the weeping and mourning for Moses ended. And now Joshua, the son of Nun, full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses, had laid hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, for all of his servants and in all of his land, and by all that mighty power and all that great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. Moses dies, and God buries him, and Joshua is ready to lead them into the land of promise. So there's the Pentateuch. Um, any questions or comments? Deuteronomy, yes, Marie. Yes, yes. 
Right. Yes. That's the Egyptian. Yes. Right? Yep. And I couldn't figure out how they fit in. And when you were in uh, chapter 29, there's a verse, part of 11, that says a stranger who's in your camp from the one who cuts your loose and the one who draws your water. So they turn around and make servants. Yes. Apparently, apparently so, yeah. Keep in mind, servants, however, could also be those among the nation that were so poor that they had to sell themselves into servanthood as well. So there's also that. But your point is, and you are right, many Egyptians went out with them. Um, the, The wilderness period was not a time when God's people were very spiritual. And so... Now, they're not, there's not much passing on to the Egyptians, but they are told to do that, the strangers, once they get into the land of promise. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And, and, and they could convert to Judaism. I mean, there, there was a place in the, in the Torah where they can convert to Judaism. And, yeah. Yep. All right. Anybody else? Any other questions? Anybody? All right. We will uh, see you next week then. See you Sunday. And then next.